Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I am going to go on some rants. So this is a different form of our uh, Topic Tuesday podcast. Usually, I pick one thing, and I'm going to teach you about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to go hard on that one single thing. Last week was the seven common traits uh, of highly successful people. If you haven't listened to that, definitely go listen to that. I'm getting a ton of great feedback on that. And it's just a really cool way of you hearing what I have dove into over the years and what I've learned and what I've taken away and and the lessons and principles that I've implemented in my life. Um, But this week I'm picking four things. There's four things that I want to talk about today. There's four rants or or bones I have to pick, if you will, um, that are just based on conversations I've had over the years. Um, Some are pretty recent. Some were just thoughts in my head um, that are based on people's confusion on certain topics. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about everything. We're going to talk about uh, effort. We're going to talk about trying harder. We're going to talk about calories and we're going to talk about training and volume specifically. So we're going to dive into some different categories, but I want to rant on a couple things and just share my thoughts and give you guys my insights so you can hopefully take away some things from it. Before we jump into the podcast, I do have a couple quick announcements. The first one is that I want to recommend everybody head over to health and fitness coalition. This is the Coalition of Health and Fitness Leaders. This link will be in the show notes. Um, This is not something I am a a part of necessarily, but it's something I want to support. Um, Precision Nutrition put this together. They uh, reached out to me personally and and asked me to um, look over it and and see what I think. And if if I like it, share it. And and the truth is I do like it. And I really love what they're doing. And I appreciate those guys over there quite a bit. Um, And it's a really cool thing. They're basically doing these free webinars. They're doing these webinars and things like that um, that don't require anything. If you go to the site, you can literally watch uh, like hour-long videos um, multiple. <laughs> like, so there's some really cool people, Jonathan Goodman, Dr. John Berardi, uh, Dr. Krista Scott Disc- Dixon, who was on the podcast. John, Jonathan Goodman was on the podcast as well. Um, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. There's, there's a lot of really cool people on these podcasts and they're just going over things. And the whole purpose of it was really to just help people learn more during quarantine, during COVID-19. So it was something that they did in response to this epidemic that's happening. So people stuck at home can learn for free uh, and get more information. So if you're a coach and you're looking for a better way to do things or you're just an individual looking to chase health and learn more about health, fitness, nutrition, so on and so forth, that is the place. Um, like I said, they reached out to me and I immediately said yes because it was such a cool idea and I love all the people that they're featuring. Some have been on my podcast personally um, and it's an honor to push things their way for that. Um, so if you want free information, something I support, the Health and Fitness Coalition, go to uh, the Health and Fitness Coalition.com. Coalition. Um, that'll be linked in the show notes. The other thing I want to mention guys is that this podcast is brought to you by the tailored trainer. This is our membership site. And yes, I sponsor my own damn podcast. Um, and the reason I do that is because now is the perfect time to make sure that your training is done for you. Um, we have a lot of people joining and a lot of people loving the body weight only bands only and minimal equipment programs that we offer in there and deliver through true coach. So if you want an app, that's going to tell you exactly what to do every single day in the gym or at home, if you're stuck without a gym, 
this is the place to go. It's less than a cup of coffee a day, and it's yours in your pocket, a personal trainer, and so much more for less than $2 a day. Um, so highly recommended. I want everybody to check that out if you are in need of training. And also for when this is done, guys, you, you want to go into the normal life with a plan. So don't let quarantine finish and not have a serious plan of how you are going to train, how you are going to eat, how you're going to chase success. Um, do yourself a favor and start planning for that now. And if you are able, start investing in that now so you can get ahead of the game and you're not falling far behind. Um, and then one last thing, guys, remember, as always, if you want to help me grow the show, if the show is helping you, and if you like the information I'm sharing, please do me a favor, share it with a friend. You could send it by email, send it by text, call somebody and tell them to listen, do whatever you got to do to make sure people are listening to the podcast, because we appreciate that more than anything. And it helps us grow this mission of trying to help more and more people around the world completely free. All right, guys, without any further ado, time to rant. So the first topic, first thing I want to discuss today is something that I've talked about probably uh, not subconsciously isn't the right word. I've, I've probably talked on this podcast as like a side topic plenty of times. Uh, but I, I recently had a conversation with Caroline, one of the coaches on my team, um, about this idea. And, and I think it's something that people forget about quite often. And I think it's really important to think about for multiple reasons. And this idea is that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. And yes, a calorie is a calorie and a calorie is the key to like tracking calories is the key to changing your body composition. Um, but we can pick this apart in so many ways and change somebody's results without changing calories. So in, in some ways, a calorie is not just a calorie. Uh, you know, there's new, like the first thing we're going to pinpoint is, is the nutrient density of a calorie. So if we look at a calorie from a Pop-Tart versus a sweet potato, which is the most common analogy I use when comparing calorie versus calorie, um, a sweet potato has much more micronutrients. There's more vitamins and minerals inside of that. And arguably, it's probably easier to digest and it's a better starch or a form of glucose to be stored in the muscle cell for performance and recovery. Um, you're probably going to get a better pump. You're probably going to be more satiated. You're probably going to have more nutrients. You're probably going to be healthier if you choose a sweet potato instead of a Pop-Tart. Plain and simple. However, if you were just trying to lose weight, you could eat a Pop-Tart and you would still lose weight as long as calories were equated. The problem with this is, is over time, I would have you consider that if you continually miss out on micronutrients, you are slowly but surely going to be having more cravings, higher stress, lower performance, worse digestion, and as a combination of all these things, poor adherence and result in the long term. Um, and the, the biggest reason is because you are missing out on nutrients. There is a big role that micronutrients play in longevity and health, and those things play a bigger role in adherence versus anything. So even though IIFYM, if, it's your, if it fits your macros, does work in theory, if you track your calories and you hit your calories, you're going to lose weight. Um, if you're neglecting the micronutrients, your health and hormones will decline. Your stress will probably increase. Your immune health will uh, go down, which is going to lead to getting sick more often and leaving the gym more often. There's so many different consequences that happen. And, and because of that, you can't just, if it fits your macros, your diet, you have to make sure that you are getting your checklist of micronutrients first. Are you getting all your vitamins and minerals? Are you getting your omega-3 fats? Are you getting your fiber? Are you getting uh, a serving or two of fruits? two to four servings of veggies? Are you getting these different things? Are you getting different sources of animal products for uh, vitamins, minerals, and protein? There's so many things that play into it that don't just equate to calories. The second point of calorie is not a calorie. Um, protein is four calories. Carbohydrates are four calories. If you eat 200 calories worth of chicken breast, you will get a different result and a different physiological response than you will of eating 200 calories of white rice. 
period. So a calorie is not always a calorie because if we have somebody that comes on board and they are consuming 2,000 calories and they are not losing weight, but their protein is at 50% of what it should be, I'm going to increase that protein by double. So let's say they were only consuming uh, 90 grams of protein and they need 180 grams of protein. Now I'm going to increase it to 180 grams of protein per day. That's going to naturally decrease either fats and or carbohydrates, but their calories are going to stay exactly the same. And if the, the thought process and the logic behind a calorie is a calorie is completely accurate, then the, the difference in progress will be no different. But that's not the reality. The difference in progress will be massively different. The person who increases protein and decreases either carb or fat is going to lose more body fat, I guarantee. It's going to act as if it was a deficit when it really wasn't a deficit. And the reason for this is because they're supplying their body with enough protein, which is very hard, if not impossible, to store as body fat. Most studies showing that people even consuming up to two grams per pound, that's me consuming like 340 grams of protein a day. That's crazy. And still not gaining fat because of it. You're just sweating your ass off, pissing a bunch of protein out. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not useful. But it's not going to store body fat. So saying a calorie is a calorie is completely wrong with a macronutrient standpoint too. So the, the macronutrient composition of a diet completely changes the role calories play inside of that diet and how you are utilizing the calories you are taking in. Um, so food composition and macronutrient comp breakdown is a massive player in this one. Um, another thing is fiber. So if we have white rice versus brown rice, or like, let's say we have, um, white bread versus whole grain bread or oats and stuff like that. Like the difference between basically a, a starchy carb in the same field, grains, potato, whatever, but one has more fiber, one has less fiber. The one with more fiber is likely going to be more filling and more satiating. It's going to keep you fuller longer. That's why a higher fiber diet diet is usually good. One of the reasons, um, but calories are still calories, right? Well, again, that's not necessarily the case because if you have a higher fiber diet, maybe a diet full of more complex carbs like fruits, vegetables, sweet potatoes, potatoes, um, produce in general, oats, things like that, you are probably going to be more satiated more often, which is going to lead to less cravings and less likelihood of you over consuming calories, especially if we consider the long term. Today might not make a big difference, but if you go day after day after day with having a low fiber diet and not being fully satiated, guess what's going to happen? Your cravings are going to peak up. Your stress is going to get higher and you're going to be dying to eat, especially because you've been in a deficit for a while. So it's even more of a case of calories aren't always just calories because fiber plays in a role. Now, net carbs, I think a lot of people listening to this will probably have heard that. Well, net carbs are just carbs that aren't fiber and fiber carbs don't count. Not true. Um, carbs with fiber still count. It's still calories in no matter what. And there's been studies to prove this. So you're not going to uh, be in a bigger deficit if you just count no net carbs and it gives you an excuse to eat a shit ton of fiber and, and be bloated. And no, not, not a good idea. But point being is fiber is still broken down, digested and utilized differently in the body. And it's going to have a different, again, health and physiological response than low fiber carbohydrates. Now there are times where low fiber carbohydrates are actually more beneficial. Uh, post-workout, for example, white rice with barely any, if, if I don't actually, I don't think white rice has any fiber. Um, great. That's perfect because we want that fast absorption. We want your insulin to spike quickly. We want the blood glucose to rise quickly. So your cortisol drops. So your recovery starts faster. You, you replenish glycogen so on and so forth. Um, pre-workout, probably not the case. Pre-workout, I do want some fiber. I want something like oats or sweet potato because I want to slow that digestion down because I'm eating a few hours before my workout. So I don't want it to immediately go into my bloodstream and then fade away and, and I bonk 
30 minutes into my session. I want it to last throughout the session. So that's super, super important as well. Um, but in general, like the fiber is a big role. So, so when we talk about calories, we have a few things here, right? Number one is micronutrients. If you're not getting cal- uh, your calories aren't coming from foods that are dense in micronutrients, you're going to have health issues. You're going to have potential stress and hormone issues. You're going to have craving issues that come in down the line. If you're not getting calories that are broken up into the mi- right macronutrients for your body, what is going to happen is that you are not going to get the most out of those calories. So the composition and the breakdown of those calories plays a massive role in tailoring the diet to you and making sure that your results are favorable. And, and you are predicting the results you're going to see. You're getting the results that you want to actually achieve. Um, and the next fiber plays a huge role. So if you're getting a ton of carbohydrates without fiber, um, you're probably going to be less satiated. So eating a lot of junk food or again, going, if it fits your macros and just having a couple fiber gummies to supply your fiber needs is probably not the best bet. And you're probably going to, again, be hungry. The deficit's going to be harder to get through and adherence is going to be more poor. Not to mention fiber is a good predictor of good health. So it's important. Um, the last thing I will say on calories, the last rant I have, is that uh, the calories coming from foods that are processed are, are highly uh, unlikely to be accurate. So there's a wiggle room, I want to say it's either 20 or 25% of margin of error on a food label. And what that means is that that Pop-Tart that you're eating that's 100 calories or that protein bar or that uh, protein cookie, which we all love, if you consume one of those, uh, your calories, let's say it's, it's 200 calories. Well, it could be 25% off. So it could be 150 or it could be 250 calories. That's a big margin of error. And if you're filling your whole day with processed foods and let's say everything is about 50 calories off, you're adding hundreds of calories potential or you're under eating because it's not as much as it said, which is usually not the case. Usually if we're doing food labels, they're going to fill it up and they're going to the mark, they're going to estimate down. So it looks lower calorie because it's more likely that you're going to buy. It's part of marketing. Um, but the point with that is simple. Um, if you are eating a bunch of processed food, your macros probably aren't what you think they are. So when you get to the end of the day and you're like, damn, I, sp- I hit my macros spot on every day this week. Why aren't I seeing results? And we look through your diet and we're like, well, you had a protein bar that day and pretzels and some cookies and you, you snacked on some chips. You still hit your micronutrients, so you're fine quote unquote, if it fits your macros. Um, so it should work, right? But the next day you did something similar with different foods. The next day you had more packaged foods. The next day you chose a packaged dinner with fruits and veggies and stuff like that, but it's still packaged. So who knows what the accuracy is. The next day you ate out at a restaurant. You get the point. If we're constantly doing things that are either A, based on food labels or B, based on somebody else's estimated measurements, which again, if, if you look at a menu and it says five ounces of this, uh, sweet potato this size, whatever, the cooks aren't back there measuring it for you. Trust me. It's just getting close estimates. Um, it doesn't mean you can't eat out. But if you're eating out too much, if you're eating too much processed junk, you are not going to see progress. And it's not because calories in versus calories out isn't a thing. Like theoretically and legitimately, like it's it's based on research, based by science, it's proven. You can't get away from calories in versus calories out. However, if you are constantly eating processed food and or eating out, your calories in versus calories out just isn't accurate. So the deficit you think you're in, you're probably not actually in. And that's probably the biggest thing with uh, clients eating too much junk food or having too much flexibility and not seeing progress. And then their coach is constantly cutting calories. And this is why one of the reasons why we enforce really good foods and creating a plan that allows you to prep easier and, and fill your diet with micronutrient-dense foods. Because what's going to happen is not only are you going to feel better, you're going to be more satiated, your macros are going to be hit easier, like all the things I've been talking about. But also what we see in your tracker, what you're actually tracking is probably accurate. And what we are going to uh, achieve because that is I'm less likely going to need to adjust your diet or put you into a bigger deficit uh, 
because of this. So if you're eating a diet that's full of micronutrients, full of fiber, full of good things, you're feeling amazing, you're staying satiated, and you're seeing progress because everything you track is home-cooked or home-produced, you know that it's accurate. We know that your macros actually are on point, and I'm way less likely to have to drop those calories to get you to continue losing weight. I'm probably going to be able to just keep it there, and you're going to keep progressing. But if you're eating a ton of junk, then it's a different story. And we've had countless clients where they're doing too much of this. And I'm like, hey, I don't want to – I know you want to speed up results. I don't want to touch your calories because I want you to eat as much food as you can while still losing weight. That's always the goal. But what I want you to do is I want you to limit how often you are eating out to this. I want you to limit how often you are drinking to this, um, drinking alcohol, that is. I want you to limit your processed food and I want you to include certain things. So like usually instead of me saying like, hey, I want you to stop eating – those protein bars or stop eating those kind bars or stop eating those packaged things, I usually will just say, hey, like I want you to aim for this many servings of, of meat or fish per day, right? And now they're like, okay, I'm targeting, you know, like breakfast is always going to be eggs for protein, lunch is going to be chicken, dinner is going to be steak or fish, cool, I'm done. And protein shake at night before bed. Like when they have that in place, they know what their staples are. It's hard to stray away from that or eat packaged processed shit when you are doing it that way. Right, I want you to consume this much, this many uh, servings of veggies, this many servings of fruit. I want you to consume this. Uh, one of your carb sources has to be sweet potato every day. Stuff like that, because now I'm choosing produce. I'm choosing foods that I can track accurately. And uh, when I choose more of those, I naturally choose less of the other. So it, it's kind of a reverse psychology, right? It's a way of me saying, hey, let's add things in, knowing subconsciously that'll force you to subtract things out. But if I tell you to stop doing something, it's restrictive and it's rigid and it's it's a restriction to you and that's going to be more difficult to follow. Um, so all in all, the reason I wanted to touch on this this little rant first, the calories not a calorie, is because I think uh, If It Fits Your Macros has uh, taken a big stand in the industry and, it, and it's for a good reason. I think... Uh, I think the net benefit from it is greater than the net con of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that think calories and macros and all these things are really bad, but I, I would argue against that and say that it actually gave people control of their diet. It gave people power and it gave that people freedom of flexibility. There's a lot of people who were stuck in horrible diets like, uh, no, I shouldn't say horrible diets, very restrictive diets where they only thought they could eat these seven magic foods or they only could eat paleo foods or they had to intermittent fast. They had to do all these things. Well, if it fits your macros, flexible dieting and the idea of tracking macros and calories has basically allowed researchers to determine that why every single diet works is because of calories. And when we know that, it's not it, – it's, it's frustrating from a sense of like, damn, there is no magic diet plan that's going to help me get super lean. But the benefit of it is is the fact that you can see results in any way as long as you track. This allows you to be more flexible. This allows you to, to have some junk food or processed food or restaurants out every once in a while. It allows you to fit alcohol in. It allows you to get off the diet or not feel like you're dieting. So I think I think it all created a lot of control, a lot of empowerment, and it gave us a tool that allows us to use data to guarantee results. Because if I have somebody on a diet and they are tracking macros, they're consistent with those macros, and I'm able to see the data – I can basically guarantee the result I'm going to give you because I can really determine and predict exactly where your body's going to go based on the numbers. Um, it is, in a sense, an algorithm for your physiology. So I think it's really important um, that we have that. But I think just like all things, everything gets kind of swung too far in one direction. Um, and I think the pendulum went a little too far on the, the flexible side and people got a little carried away with how much shit they could fit in their diet. 
um, and still get results. So that's my rant on calories. Is uh, Calorie is a calorie, quote-unquote, saying. Um, I don't believe a calorie is a calorie. In, in theory, yes, a calorie is a calorie. But in reality, in practicality, it's not a, just a calorie. There's so much um, there's so much depth to every single calorie you consume, as, as crazy as that sounds. Um, and they all it, it all determines the results you're going to have, not necessarily just the calories in general. Uh, the next topic I wanted to touch on is why some people respond better to low volume training. You know, there's like this this crowd of people who believe in high volume training. Um, I'm I'm one of them. I would say I, I believe in it. Um, but there's also this crowd that like demonizes it, and they're like, oh, I have all this experience and in my anecdote and my years of training, and and I have these athletes that are that are in sport performance doing power cleans, shit like that. And they're jacked, or these CrossFitters, and it's like, okay. Um, crossfitters aren't always the best example actually, because professional crossfitters volume is through the roof. So it's no wonder they're jacked, but, um, but their intensity is super high too. And they're doing low volume training, uh, in theoretically from like a rep perspective. But my point with this is there's a lot of people that argue against it and they always bring up like one or two studies. There's like one or two studies that showed favorable results for less volume than more. The rest show more volume is better and, and by like ridiculous amounts. Like they keep doing research on this and every single time. More is better. More volume equals better. Um, now, there is diminishing returns because more is only as much as you can recover from. But I think the like you can put the nail in the coffin. Like More volume is typically better for hypertrophy. There's no way around it. Like Every study proves this except like one or two, which are questionable studies. And there's always outliers, right? There's always going to be outliers. And that's my point with this. Why do some people respond better to low-volume training? And there's two theories I have on this because – in my experience, I have seen that I would I would say, and I had a conversation with a client about this because we just put her on a more of a low volume training program to focus on her big lifts and powerlifting, um, and her aesthetic body composition improved. And she was like, "Why is that? Everything I read is like volume is better." So there's two things that I think happen here, and I've seen this with about 25% of people, maybe, and that might be pushing it. Maybe it's like more like honestly like 10 to 15 percent um but a small amount like a quarter or less of people probably respond better to low volume training um theo Bowie, who i have i recently had on the podcast who used to be a co-host he is one of those individuals and i remember training with him in and he responded insanely well aesthetically to low volume training like just got jacked i responded really well from a strength perspective but i didn't get jacked on low volume training i needed high volumes and bodybuilding to get jacked um, and that's just how my body responds. Now there's two theories I have here. Number one kind of goes into some of the stuff that I discussed with Christian Thibodeau on the podcast. Um, and I, I believe Lisa has included this. She wrote a, uh, uh, what is it called? Neuro, uh, it's not neuroscience. Um, Christian Thibodeau has his, oh, neurotyping. He has his neurotyping protocol, which is basically based off personality types. And a lot of this has to do with catecholamines, chemicals, neurotransmitters, things in your body that are uh, that are greater in some areas than, than others. Each individual is different. Um, different levels of serotonin and, and dopamine and, and GABA and things like that produce different results for different people. Um, and I think that some personality types and some neurotypes just function better on low volume training. Um, now, is that because they enjoy it more? So their motivation is higher. So their, their effort is higher, which is the next rant I'm going to get on. Possibly. Um, is it because there's some chemical responses with stress and things like that? Possibly. But I think one of the things could be just this personality type. Um, the second thing, and there's actually three things I think that could be happening. The second thing is that they might have a higher dominance of fast twitch fibers. So we know that fast twitch fibers are going to 
produce at greater amounts during low volume, low rep, high intensity training. So if you're doing a power clean, you're doing a sprint, you're doing a one to three rep max deadlift or bench, things like that, you're going to be using more uh, fast switch fibers. Once you get past those reps and you start going higher in, in volume, six, eight, 10, 12, and more, now you're using more slow twitch. And this is where we're getting more into muscular endurance um, and sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. So if you're doing an eight rep set, your first few reps are going to be predominantly fast twitch, and then you're going to switch to slow twitch. But if you're doing lower weight, there's less recruitment of the motor units required to produce this, this uh, fast twitch fiber hypertrophy. Um, and most of us want fast twitch hy fiber hypertrophy. So it's not that we we want to we need to choose one or the other. We should always have both, no matter what, because everybody has a blend. But some people, um, based on some research, it shows that some people are just more fast twitch dominant. Now, the only way for you to really tell is either A, go get a muscle biopsy, which probably is really expensive and hard to access, or B, just really, really meticulously pay attention to the training programs you use. Now, for this client I'm talking about, I know that low volume training is gonna work better. I have a really good thought process that she's probably more fast twitch dominant, and that's okay. Um, I have other clients who I just know their history, and I'm like, hey, tell me about the training programs you've used in the past. Based on what they say and what they enjoyed and what worked really well, I can probably make a good guess as to what fiber type they're probably dominant in. Um, and you can sometimes just tell by the way a person functions, right? If you have a natural born athlete who is super explosive, they're probably going to be more fast twitch. Um, somebody like myself is just more slow twitch. I'm not a super explosive person, um, but put me on an eight or 10 or 12 rep set and I'll crush you. Like it's just, that's just the way my body functions because of that majority of my training is going to be more slow twitch dominant. Um, and very little of it is going to be fast twitch. I'm still going to do some fast twitch training, do some big heavy lifts and maybe some explosive works. I think everybody should, uh, especially because neurologically it's important to develop those areas too. But in general, the majority of my training, two-thirds or three-fourths of it, is probably going to be this slow twitch dominant, this higher rep training. So the second theory I have here is why some people respond better to lower volume training is just that. Like they're probably more fast twitch dominant, and that's just how they are by nature. And you should probably carry, cater to that. Some people would argue that once you hit a serious plateau as advanced lifter, you should probably start switching and maybe do something different and, and train the other fibers because you have more room for improvement in the other fibers. And I would agree, but I think that comes way down the line. I think it comes after you've maxed out your, your natural potential um, in, in that takes a long time. It's very, very hard. Um, a good example is like, and these aren't always correct, but I did a, uh, a test where you can see what your natural muscular potential is. And I want to say that at 10% body fat, so lean with abs, I should be like, it was like 185 pounds. So my maximum potential for being huge and ripped is 185 pounds at 10% body fat. Just for some context, I'm 176 pounds. Um, I'm not 10% body fat. I'm probably like 12 or 13% body fat. So that means I would have to gain almost another 10 pounds and get leaner, which means I'd probably have to put on like another 15 to 20 pounds before I can cut down and get to that. Um, so even for me, somebody who's been lifting this long, I'm still not using these, these things to try to maximize it. Um, and then the last thing is stress response. So I think certain people have a greater stress capacity and part of this can be, uh, the way they respond to stress. And part of this could be just the daily stress that they have in their life. If I get somebody who is 
not sleeping very well, has a kid that's waking up through the night, who has a crazy job, who works night shift, anything like that, high volume training might not be better. Not because they are more fast switch dominant or because their personality type is one way, but because the stressors in their day-to-day life are so great that they can't recover from the stress of high volume training. Um, So it might be more beneficial to do a low volume training program. Um, Just do the minimal effective dose of volume and make sure your effort is high enough in the sets you are doing and you're probably going to get better results because your body can actually keep up and recover. Uh, because recovery is the key to adaptation. Yes, you so is stress. You have to stress the body, but stress is a huge, huge bell curve. Recovery is black and white. You just need to fucking recover. If you're not recovered, you're not going to adapt. You're not going to grow. Um, you're not going to build muscle. You're not going to get leaner. You're not going to get stronger, period. Um, now, some people just have a greater capacity to handle stress. So in this... I don't know what the science is with this. Maybe there is some some differences in how people's bodies tolerate and handle fluctuations of cortisol. Maybe it's somebody's diet. Maybe it's uh, their lifestyle. Or maybe it's just a personality thing where they can just handle it. Um, those individuals usually respond great to high-volume training. So if you're an individual who just has a high capacity for stress, like stress doesn't phase you, and I can honestly say that my training can be higher volume if I am journaling every day, reading every day, going on a walk every day, and meditating every day. Those are like a few things in my daily routine that really allow me to have more clarity and power and control over my day and life. And when I have those things, everything else is just easier to handle. So stresses that come into my life don't seem as stressful. My stress capacity is higher because of those daily practices. So I would even argue that some people that are just more enlightened and more focused and more present and things like that probably can handle more volume too because stress doesn't affect them in the same way. But nonetheless, I think there's like really these these three or four things that really play a role um, in somebody's ability to handle high volumes and why some people would probably prefer low volumes and get better results from low volume. Number one is going to be um, just that personality type, that neurotype. Like, is that just the way you function? Number two is going to be muscle fiber dominance. Like, are you just more fast twitch. Number three is going to be um, the the stressors in your life at all um, and just what you're able to handle from that stress. Um, and I would even add to like diet. I think diet plays a big role. If you're, if you're somebody who can tolerate a lot of carbohydrates, you're going to do really well on a, on a high volume program. Um, but that's it. Like, I think so like to, to, to round this out, like why some people respond better to low volume training, those are the reasons why. But the reason I want to talk about this is because there's too many people arguing whether or not volume is better or, or not. Like high volume training programs are better for muscle growth. In most cases they are, but nothing is black and white. There is no definite answer. And there's always going to be outliers and people on both ends of the spectrum. And that's okay. High volume training programs work better for me, but I have a lot of clients who I don't put on high volume because it doesn't work better for them, period. And I think a good coach understands that not everybody is the same and not all research is indefinite, um, which is why I, I'm really excited about somebody coming on the team. Um, I'm not going to do a spoiler alert because we haven't announced it publicly yet. Um, maybe we have by the time this podcast airs. So if we have, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, brother, I'm not shouting out your name, but we do have a uh, somebody who's coming on board. I officially hired him. His, he is the chief science officer of Taylor's Coaching Method. So this is somebody that's going to be coming in, going to be on the podcast regularly, going to be writing blogs regularly. He is in the research doing actual physique studies in the lab, uh, PhD. So really, really excited about this because it's somebody that can come in and help with the education and content role and be somebody for our members to actually have uh, and our coach coaches to have as a researcher on staff to get really good science-based quality information from on a regular basis. So I'm stoked about that. Um, and this is one of the reasons because we can run things by, by him like this, which he's actually writing a volume blog for our blog right now, <laughs> which is going to be perfect. So um, now the next thing, 
that I wanted to rant on. I got two more things and then we'll wrap this up. Importance of effort. So these two things kind of tie in together, but the first one I'm going to talk about is about training specifically. I've been having this conversation with a lot of people because so many people are doing at-home workouts. Um, and I think people assume that like they can't get a great workout in because they're working out at home, they only have bands, so on and so forth. But the reality is that you can if your effort is matched. Um, Omar Esau had a really good post and he talked about this. He talked about the relative effort you are placing in proximity of failure is what determines the success in, in your growth, your strength, and your progress, period. And remember, even if your goal is fat loss, you're still using the same principles because tra training for hypertrophy is going to help you in your fat loss journey. So the, this idea of proximity to failure is that we know based on most research that being within three reps of complete absolute failure is probably going to be most optimal. We see the best muscular response when we go to complete failure. However, we see the greatest systemic fatigue response from that as well, which makes it unfavorable. If we go to complete failure in the short term, if we did a one-day study, we might see more growth in an individual. But if we look at the rest of their week and then month and they're constantly going to failure, their total volume and ability to grow will, will slowly diminish because they're not catching up from a recovery standpoint. They're not allowing their body to fully recover and therefore adapt and therefore get back to training. So if you can't get back to training, you can't do enough volume to get results in the first place. You can't train often enough and stay consistent enough to train in the first place. Um, but what we know is that if we are like three, two, or one, specifically one to two reps away from complete failure, we're going to get almost identical gains from that and we're not going to have as much systemic fatigue. So this is why in most cases I will progress people week after week and RIR reps in reserve, but you should probably be staying within three reps of failure, two reps failure on 80% of your stuff, one rep from failure on 10% of your stuff, and go to complete failure like a little bit, depending on the exercise. Very, very, not very often though. Um, so 10% of training, let's say this, 10% of training, uh, three reps away from failure, 80% of training, two reps away from failure, or 70%, two reps away from failure, 10%, um, uh, one rep away from failure, and then 10% uh, zero away from failure and things like a sled or sit-ups or uh, lateral raises, curls, stuff like that, calf raises, things like that can be done uh, to failure. But the point being is we want this proximity to failure. Now, what does this mean for us? This means that when we're doing a bench press, if we're targeting eight reps, we want to be doing something that allows us to just leave a, a rep or two in the tank. That's going to stimulate growth. It's going to be very challenging still, and it's going to allow us to recover still. If we are doing a push-up, we want the exact same thing. The difference is we might not be doing eight reps on a bench press. We might be doing 28 reps of a push-up. It's still a pressing movement. It still works the same muscle groups. It just takes longer and more accumulation of, of repetitions to generate that amount of fatigue and stress on the muscle to get that close to failure. It takes longer to reach a reps in reserve of one or two which doesn't make it necessarily less beneficial. Um, I think long-term it does because it makes it harder to progress uh, from a load and intensity perspective because you can't just keep adding plates on your back while you're doing push-ups. Um, and it, it takes way longer. If you're doing sets of 30 push-ups, you accumulate a lot of fatigue uh, like from the pump and you got to take longer rest periods to, to let that lactic acid kind of dissipate, the metabolites to calm down, and then you can get back to it. Um, whereas bench press doesn't do that in eight reps as much. So... There's definitely benefits to doing bench presses and, and squats and barbell stuff. What, trust me, I, I won't choose body weight if, that's, uh, if I have the option not to. But the key to remember here is that you can still accomplish results with just a band or just body weight or whatever because 
you are understanding this proximity to failure rule, this rule of the this theory that if you are approaching failure at the same intensity or effort, you're good. So what's my point with this? My point with this is effort fucking matters. And there's a lot of people who forget about that. They're, they're following the reps, they're following the sets, they're following the program, they're doing percentages, but they don't understand this. So maybe they're doing circuit training and they're doing dumbbell rows and they're doing a really light weight, but they don't realize it's light because they're just following the program and they're just using what they have. But realistically, if the circuit calls for eight reps per side and all you have is 25-pound dumbbells at your house and you can do eight reps and you still have six, seven, or eight in the tank realistically before completely failing and dropping the dumbbell, then you're not getting nearly close enough to failure to actually stimulate results. So you're going to the gym and you're doing these circuits and yeah, you're burning some calories and sweating a little bit, but you're not getting the most out of your workouts because you're not approaching failure to a close enough proximity. And this is why effort plays a big role. So people need to understand this. So when they do their program, they're not just looking at the numbers on the paper. They're looking at how hard they're working. That effort plays a massive role in the results you are going to see, period. Um, so that's huge. And then I also think this is just something important to remember because you have to be aware of your body and really audit yourself and judge yourself and, and determine like, are you really going that close to failure? Like there's, there's plenty of times where you're doing squats and your mindset is saying, oh, fuck, I, I got zero left in the tank. I have no more. But if you just take a breath and go again, you'll be like, oh, shit, that was another. Oh, shit, that was another. There's plenty of times where I got a bar on my back and I'm like, I'm done. That's it. And then I crank out three more reps because my muscles were not at failure yet, but my mind wants to quit first. So it's, it's something to be aware of for most people because if you can really determine your true effort and you can actually target your reps and reserve, your RPE and your effort to be a certain way in the gym, I promise you your results are gonna be staggeringly better. You're gonna see dramatic improvements in your results because you are focusing on this effort. And then that carries me into the last thing I wanted to rant about today. And this is more of a question I just wanna pose on you to wrap up the podcast. Why would you not just try? Like, why would you not try harder? It always blows my mind when people, they want better results or they wish they could have this or wouldn't it be nice or they're just not using their time to get better. Like, it, it baffles me in life if we're not trying to get better. So if I'm asking this question and A, it's triggering you or pissing you off, take that as a sign as you need to work on something. Don't, don't take offense to it because I've been in that position where I got triggered. I'm like, man, who are you to say that? And then I thought about it and I'm like, man, actually, I could live life way better. I could be way better. I could be way smarter. I could be more knowledgeable. I could try way harder. I can give better effort. I can be more present. There's so many things I could do better. And I just started doing instead of thinking, wouldn't it be nice? Or, that's eh, just not me. Or I wasn't born that way, which I used to say all the fucking time growing up. I just wasn't, I wasn't a good student. I wasn't meant to be academically smart. I wasn't meant to be knowledgeable. I wasn't meant to be successful. I said that all the time to myself. And guess what? It was true because I was telling myself that until I got tired of telling myself that and I decided to try a little bit harder and I realized I did have potential. I just hadn't tapped into it yet. So my message for you guys to wrap up this podcast is simple. Where in your life are you not trying harder? And ask yourself, why? Why am I not giving it my all? Why am I not trying harder? What would it feel like if I did? Would it be that much more difficult to just give a little bit more effort in my training, in my relationship, in my journaling, in my self-development, in my business, in my sleep, in my health, in my mindset, would it be that much more difficult? Where in your life are you not doing enough of it? And then most importantly, if you did it consistently, if you consistently tried harder, how much better would you feel? What would you achieve? Who would you become? 
So I know this isn't a motivational Monday podcast, but I think this is really important and something I wanted to rant on is that there's absolutely no reason in the world to not try harder, to not just give it your all. If you're going to do something, do it. If you are not willing to give it your all, that's fine. Don't do it. But if you're going to do something, you need to give your all. The only reason to do anything is is if you are going to excel at it, you're going to achieve great results from it, and if you're going to give everything you have to it. That's all I got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoyed my little rant of the day. This is a new style of podcast I've never done. As always, guys, I appreciate you for listening so much. If you need help with anything whatsoever, my email, my contact information, all that stuff is in the podcast. I encourage everybody to reach out. I encourage everybody to share this podcast, and I encourage everybody to apply for coaching if they need help with their training or nutrition. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.